God is going to respond to Habakkuk's complaint, and God's response is actually uh, not a really nice response for Habakkuk. It's that the Babylonians are going to take God's people into exile. While it's not what Habakkuk wanted to hear, um, this response is something that God had prepared his people for. Uh, In Deuteronomy 28, a passage of Scripture written a good thousand years before Habakkuk's prophecy and before Habakkuk's time, um, where God had warned his people that if they did not obey him, they would be brought into exile. And so we read Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 36. The heading of this section comes at verse 15, curses for disobedience. This is the result if you do not obey the Lord your God or carefully follow his commands. We begin in verse 36. The Lord will drive you and the king you have set over you to a nation unknown to you or your fathers. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You'll become a thing of horror and an object of scorn and ridicule to all the nations where the Lord will drive you. You'll sow much seed in the field, but you'll harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You'll plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you'll not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees throughout your country, but you'll not use the oil, because the olives will drop off. You'll have sons and daughters, but you'll not keep them, because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. The alien who lives among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He will be the head, but you will be the tail. All these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He'll put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away and from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine or oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined." They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. And they will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. So far, the passage from Deuteronomy, you'll find echoes of this in Habakkuk 1. We read together from the prophecy of Habakkuk. You can find that on page 929 of your pew Bible. Uh, Habakkuk is one of the last books in the Old Testament. We will be meditating today on the verses 5 through to 11 
of Habakkuk 1. Last week, we heard Habakkuk's complaint to God. And this week, we will listen to the Lord's answer to Habakkuk. And the Lord answers his prophet, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. So far, the reading of the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever walked in a room when people are praying? It can be the most awkward thing, especially if you like bumble into the room very noisily, uh, suddenly realize, oh, there's people praying there and you retreat very quietly out again. Um, Last week, we walked in on Habakkuk praying. He was on his knees before God, crying out uh, to God. Crying out to God because there was, um, you could call, a, a reverse reformation happening in, in Judah. The content of his complaint was that there was violence, there was no justice, and it didn't seem like God was looking at what was going on. Um, he lived in a society where justice had been replaced by violence. Today, God, he he responds to Habakkuk's prayer. But when he responds to Habakkuk's prayer, he doesn't only respond to Habakkuk, but he also responds to all of us as well, who have bumbled into the room. We've we've come across Habakkuk praying. Instead of walking out, we're choosing, choosing to stay with him. We're actually choosing to get on our knees next to him as he cries out to God. Um, And God responds not just to Habakkuk, but also to all those who are with Habakkuk. Um, In verse 5, you will see God, he replies, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Um, uh, God's not just talking to Habakkuk there. Um, He is saying, uh, look, look all of you to the nations. All of you watch and be utterly amazed. Um, the verbs there are actually in, in the plural. Um, so it's not just you, Habakkuk, but you all. English can't really capture that uh, because English has some peculiarities in its language. Um, but God is not just addressing Habakkuk here. He's addressing all of God's people who are with Habakkuk as he is praying. 
And so our, our theme, as you'll see as we look at this, this passage of Scripture briefly this afternoon, is God's response to his troubled people, not God's response to his troubled prophets. And perhaps you are here this afternoon and you are one of God's troubled people. Um, hopefully God's message to you this afternoon will also comfort you in your trouble. And so we'll just leap right into the text this afternoon. Uh, Habakkuk has prayed to God, and, and God has listened to Habakkuk's cry. Uh, God's response is not what Habakkuk is looking for. As we read through this section, you would have heard uh, similarities to, uh, to Deuteronomy 28. God's response to Habakkuk is that, you know what, there's violence and there is injustice in, in, in Israel, in Judah right now. God's response is that um, he's going to raise up an even more violent, an even more unjust nation. He's going to be raising up the Babylonians. Sometimes God's response to our prayers is not what we are looking for. But that doesn't mean that God is not listening to our prayers. Something for us to realize, often we think that when our prayers aren't answered the way that we like, that, that God's not listening. But God does listen. And actually, in his response to Habakkuk, he uses the exact same words that Habakkuk uses in his prayer. There are three words that form the, the backdrop to Habakkuk's prayer. They're the words violence, justice, and look. And when God responds to Habakkuk, he uses those same three words that form the, the backbone of his response. Look, violence, and justice. God responds uh, to, to Habakkuk, and in his answer, he calls Habakkuk to look, but he calls Habakkuk to look bigger. Verse 5, he says, look at the nations and watch. Habakkuk had been looking at Judah, and things were not good in Judah. There was a bad king oppressing his people. God says, Habakkuk, You've got to lift up your eyes. You've got to look. You've got to look broader. Look broader than just the local situation. Look among the nations. Look on the horizon. There's a, there's a storm brewing there, and it's about to burst. That storm that's brewing on the horizon is the Babylonians, a ruthless and impetuous people. Uh, this was a nation that almost literally came out of nowhere. 20 years ago, no one had heard of the Babylonians. Now they were on their way to becoming the dominant world power. They just licked the Assyrians and the Egyptians in battle, sent them home with their tails between their legs, and now they were on the way to becoming the world power. And God says, Habakkuk, I am raising up this storm cloud, these people, and there will be greater injustice. Verse 7, they are a law to themselves. Habakkuk had, had complained to God earlier that the law was paralyzed. And if you remember back to last week, that, that word for law is the Torah, God's justice, God's law. Habakkuk complains that this new king isn't keeping uh, God's constitution. And God says, well, you're upset with that injustice. Here comes a people whose injustice will be much greater. They're going to be a law unto themselves. Not only had Habakkuk complained about that, he'd also complained about the violence. But God responds and tells his prophet 
that there will be greater violence. Verse 9, they all come bent on violence. What's their motivation? The motivation of the Babylonians was violence. They came to the party, not for the party bag that you get at the end, like not for all the spoils, but they just came for the party games. The party games for them were, were violence. They were a horrible people. Uh, they were, as we read, ruthless. The world knows somewhat of the ruthlessness of a, of a conquering nation. We don't really know that much of it living here in Canada, thankfully, but if you've ever been to Europe, you've seen something of the violence and the ruthlessness of conquering nations. Uh, the crosses row by row, the concentration camps. Uh, for me, perhaps the most confronting reminder of that sort of violence was a little a town in France, Orado Sorglane. Uh, it's a burnt out ruin now. It's a burnt out ruin because four days after D-Day, the Nazis came through. Uh, they rounded up all the men and they locked them in barns and they set the barns on fire. They rounded up the women and children and they put them in the church and they set the church on fire. All in all, they murdered 643 civilians. There was an American pilot who was shot down over France around that time. He was brought to that village shortly after the massacre. And in his report, when he made it back to England, he reported, about three weeks ago, I saw a town where some 500 men, women, and children had been murdered by the Germans. He saw one child who had been crucified. When God says the Babylonians are coming and they are coming bent on violence, it's that type of violence that the Babylonians would bring. They were known for their violence. They were known for their cruelty. They were, as God says, guilty men, dreaded and fearsome, terrible and terrifying. As a Habakkuk, he's prayed. And he, and he wants something in his prayer. He's prayed that, that God would stop the, the violence and, and the injustice in society. And God has responded in the exact opposite way that Habakkuk has, has asked for him to respond. It's no, it's no wonder that God says to him, look and see and be utterly amazed. See, this was not what Habakkuk was looking for. This was the exact opposite of what Habakkuk had asked for. The answer to prayer is the exact opposite of the prayer itself. Now I wonder, in your life, have you ever been utterly amazed? Not in, not in a good way, but in a bad way, in a sad way. Have you ever been utterly amazed at the way that God has led your life? life. I think we all have plans for our life. I think we all know exactly how our lives should go. I think if God gave us control of our lives for just a little while, we'd all know what we'd fix. I don't think it would take much for us to think of the first thing that we'd fix if we were in control. I'd go back and change that health diagnosis I received. Or, or I'd go and, and work in my child's heart so that they believe in Jesus. 
Or I'd change what happened on that, that date so many years ago. But ever since that day, my life has been a mess. But I wonder how many of us, if God gave us control, would actually pause and say, you know what, God, just, just please explain why it is that you've done this, why it is that you're doing that. Let, let me know what's happening from your vantage point, because I think if we, if we did that, we wouldn't actually change anything. And what God is doing is he's, he's bringing his prophet to, uh, to see things from his vantage point. Often from our vantage point, things seem purposeless. Things seem out of control. But God is, is teaching his prophet and he's teaching his people that perhaps he has a better vantage point than we do. Could it be that the one who knows the end from the beginning sees things properly? You see, uh, Habakkuk has uh, cried out to God in his prayer. And he's, he's cried out um, to God and he said, God, from what, from what I see, uh, this is verse 2, uh, you tolerate wrong. That's the translation in the NIV. But a literal translation of that, that let's say the ESV captures is, God, from my point of view, you are idly looking at wrong. That's the only explanation for it. It's the only explanation for, for, the, for, the, for the violence and injustice that's before me. God's reply is, is so gentle, but so corrective. He tells his prophet to look. He tells his people to look. He tells us to, to take his perspective. Maybe we can't actually see what God Sees. It's a perspective corrective. It's a realization that, yes, things may seem out of control from where we are, but everything is actually in his control. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, you may know him, he's an English uh, preacher from the last century, comments on this passage and he writes, if God were unkind enough to answer some of our prayers at once, and in the way that we ask, we should be very impoverished Christians. If God were unkind enough to answer our prayers the way we want. You see, God is not unkind enough. He sees things from his perspective and he calls us to also look from his perspective and to see his greater plan. Perhaps... Uh, trusting a God to write the script in this way for your life scares you. You see, God is in, in control of the script of each of our lives. He is the one who determines where it goes. For Habakkuk, this had some twists and some turns that he never would have wanted. For Habakkuk, the way God was leading his life was that there was going to be a plot twist. Things are bad, well, they're going to get worse. I wonder if as you look out at your life and you think of how God is controlling everything that you also are scared. What unexpected plot lines might be woven in. You see, there's no need for this to scare any of us because we know a lot of the script that God has written. 
And the unexpected plot line, the unexpected part of each of our scripts that God has written for us has already been written. And we know what God has written. The unexpected part of the script of Israelite history was that God would come down in the person of Jesus and he would take every single one of his people's sins upon himself. That was the unexpected. That was the utterly amazing part of the script. We read together from Deuteronomy 28 and God outlined the script, what would happen. And it was, you obey me, you keep my commandments, and if you, if you don't do that, then uh, you'll be going into exile. What God revealed here was expected. But God did something utterly amazing. And what he did that was totally astounding was to personally pay the price for each and every one of our sins. God put in the script what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God prepared for those who love him. And that's part of my story. And that's part of your story. If anything should ever leave you utterly amazed in your life, it is that God would send his only son to make a wretched sinner, his treasure, sorry, and I know that if he has done that, well, then God is for me. And I know if he has done that, then as my story unfolds, every single consequent chapter is for the good of me and for the good of his people. And so if you ever stand utterly amazed at what is going on in your life, if you stand troubled, then look to the cross. Because the cross is God's utterly amazing response to his troubled people. Because on the cross, God's heart is on display. Look and see. Watch and be utterly amazed. See from his head, his hands and feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ere such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so, Christ, so rich a crown? And so... And come to his table today. Come and have your faith strengthened as you walk the path that God has set out for you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and there are times when the way you map out our life leaves us utterly astounded. We pray that you will give us your perspective that we can see how you are working everything for good. And as we walk down the path of life, there are times when we just cannot see that. But we pray that you may lift our eyes to Jesus and that you will help our hearts to understand that you have done something utterly amazing that you have broken into history, that you have paid for our rebellions, and now you're calling each of us home and to yourself. We ask that as we take part in the Lord's Supper, that you will strengthen our faith, that you will nourish us, that you will sustain us as we continue on this journey home. Amen.